think you could interview me weekly and I just sit with my rosé and my piles of memorabilia and we just have a little, you know, talk show in our 80s and I weep a lot. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, Editor-in-Chief of InStyle Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. This week I'm hanging out with the epic Laura Dern. She's brilliant, kind, and committed, but let's not forget, she will not not be rich. Feel the burn, Laura Dern. That's I, <laughs> I think it's time Bernie lost that and Dernie got it. Um, but welcome to Ladies First, Laura Dern. Thank you, Laura Brown. Thank you for doing this. I wanted to firstly just talk about people that know that we're friends and all the stuff we've done together think we've known each other longer than we actually have. And we met about four, a little bit under four years ago, I think the Aussie connection, which is quite interesting, is Nicole and I also didn't know each other well and have gotten to know each other not only through Big Little Lies, but through my friendship with Naomi Watts. And because Naomi and I have known each other and been close for 20 years, there's this weird thing about you Aussies where everybody assumes that I know you all for 20 years. They've been steadily inflicting themselves on me for 20 years in spurts. Tell me, I'm going to ask a proper question now. I was just looking at um, a cursory glance at your IMDb. 90 actress credits on the IMDb. And just, and really, like, before, you know, obviously the big, massive series and everything that have been happening in the last few years, such esoteric, like, just one-off episodes, short films... Tell me how, and I'm not, not that how do you choose roles thing, but I think it's interesting that there is a, a consistent inconsistency in, in a lot of these productions that you've gone for. So how does coming through that and all, all going, enjoying the esoteric, how has that governed what you've done, which is obviously bigger and broader of late, but what have you found in that that has been esoteric and alluring to you? I mean, I was raised by two actors who are incredibly committed to the art of filmmaking and storytelling and take it very seriously in a, in a lifetime commitment now in their early 80s, having started as, you know, let's say 18 to 20-year-olds. I started to hone in on the love of women and voice, women who were never given the right to voice, women who are afforded voice but don't know how to use it, um, who overuse it, who, <laughs> who abuse it. I did this film, Citizen Ruth, and my character was, you know, pregnant with her fifth child. She was a huffer addicted to everything, considered a throwaway by society. And the look through comedy in that film at how this is a person who never knew they were entitled to even be seen in the world. Um, all the way to Renata, for example, in Big Little Lies, who, you know, uh, being sort of a leader in the world of tech and in a corporate world and being a boss and being overwhelming in her seeming voice is, is equally vulnerable and longing and broken uh, in being heard 
by other women, uh, in feeling seen by other women, and even ultimately in her own marriage, uh, or as a mother and all her insecurities. Uh, and about, all her denials and all her refutations yeah. and all her affirmations. Yeah, and it's so, it's, it's taught me a lot. It's the gift of teaching me a lack of judgment for all that we walk through and d- despite what our labels are um, in society. And that's the thing about you, LD. You are one of the least cynical people I've ever met. Oh, that's beautiful to hear. Thank you. You are so, and again, like anybody who's born and raised in Hollywood could have gone all different ways, as we all know. You still embrace a role. You embrace people. You embrace experience in a way that sometimes like, it's always new to you. If, and so what is, what is that? Explain this to me. Wow. Well, I have been described as the eternal optimist by friends and and certainly in my upbringing, always glass half full. And I think I, I made a commitment to really riding through the storms in my life and not being bitter. I had an incredible teacher say to me once um, in, in some heartbreak in my life, choosing to trust in love is the most incredible and noble act. You've given your trust to another person, and that's gorgeous. You don't get to control what they do with it, and so if they don't know what to do with it or can't meet you with it. It takes nothing from you. I think as women often we go, why was I such a fool? How did I not see that? Why did I trust this person? As though it's our fault what they do with our choice to love another person. So in that area of my life, um, and in parenting and, and taking care of parents, I think I've been often very optimistic and hopeful. Environmentally, I'm, I'm not as hopeful, but I have to say COVID starting a year ago now, I became the person that said, oh no, this is gonna be three years. No, we're not gonna go back to work no, I'm not going to listen to any administration saying this is going to be over in four weeks. We're going to be wearing PPE for a long time. It's a new normal. We're going to create joy out of the worst case scenario. I realized it was my own survival mechanism, not in thinking the worst, but just knowing that I could create home and comfort for my kids, even if this was way longer than anyone expected. I had to get into that mindset. I think as you get older, you you make a conscious choice as well. It's like, okay, I know that this is what I'm going to try and be jolly today. It, it ends up being easier, but you get stubborn about it. And it does, it does help. But you know what's so crazy? I was looking at what was recently, dear listeners, it was recently Laura's birthday. And... Um, and happy birthday. And um, and Laura sent me the most beautiful flowers and the most hilarious audio texts and also emojis. Like, how do you even, you're going to have to give me a lesson. You've got to get your emojis game going. I don't even know how to find them. And my mother sends 8 million to me. So clearly. It's joy. It's joy. It's joy. You had a little over a year ago, I was looking at the picture of you 
One, holding your Oscar uh, for Marriage Story and also blowing out the candles of your birthday cake because it all happened at the same time. What are years since? I mean, how do you reconcile that moment now? I'm really grateful for it. I'm really grateful to have had, you know, a nine-month journey of promoting two films at the same time with a couple, uh, being my dear friends Noah Baumbach, who wrote and directed Marriage Story, and Greta Gerwig, who adapted and directed Little Women, who are a couple in real life. And so starting in the prior August, we started going to festivals. And you really did. We went around the world, both films simultaneously, promoting Q&As, awards shows, getting to know the other filmmakers that had made films that year, which is the beautiful thing about festivals around the world is, you know, there are often maybe 10 films that are being given acknowledgement that year. And you, you start to travel together. Of course, and, like a pack. Uh, we went to Telluride and August and Bong Joon-ho was there with his film Parasite. And so we started going on this journey together. It was a beautiful time, but it was incredibly social and, you know, dinners every night and meet and greets. And I remember we wouldn't see you for weeks. It'd be like, what's she doing? Oh, that's right. Promo. She's like, it's like, it's no joke. And I'll say this because oftentimes people think that Actors, you put on your dress and, and it's and you go to a glamorous thing and you get your award. Yes, you went to a glamorous thing and you got your award. But it was nine months of you doing two films, like literally talking up to journalists, two films at once, going all around the world, different time zones, getting yourself gussied up over and over again. It's, it's not nothing for your energies. You earn those awards as much, if not more oftentimes, for the promotion you do because of the effort that takes. You know, and that's why I think people kind of, you know, often forget, oh, she just did that. She got the award. No, 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 no. You worked. You worked. And it it was extraordinary because as, as times are changing and people are relying pretty much solely on streamers um, as their way to see film and television now. And I, I pray for all of us, the opportunity to be safely in a theater again in the near future, because I was raised falling in love with the the magic of what happens with a collective community in a movie theater. The experience of sharing an emotional journey where you are device-free, you are solely focused on one thing for two hours, and you're experiencing this emotional roller coaster with strangers and having a collective, shared, connected experience. And I I think it's an extraordinary thing and a gift. And what was amazing about Marriage Story is, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was a independent film, as we would call it, you know, prior to streaming services. And Netflix, as they did the year before with Roma, released the film in select theaters. And so people had the opportunity for that experience, but it also was on Netflix and it had a massive audience, which was amazing. It kind of gave us an opportunity to have a conversation about how to sell film, how something can be in the theaters and a company can also share it 
on a streaming platform, which is fantastic. That was the testing the waters. So you didn't know that at the time. Exactly. And you can do both, which was great. But I will say, in terms of the promotion of these journeys, I don't know that it will ever look like that again. I don't know that we'll have press tours like that ever again. No, I don't think there's going to be a gauntlet like that for actors to that degree anymore. Hey, I want to ask you about working. You filmed Jurassic Park a few months ago. We'll get to that. But how were you when faced with the idea that you may not be working for a while? Was that, did that unsettle you? Well, listen, it upset me in a very luxurious way. You know, one of my favorite restaurants that I've been going to for 25 years, looks like it's going to go under, you know, so many restaurant owners, waitstaff, hotels, small businesses that have really suffered or in fact lost their businesses, you know, frontline workers who are saving lives right now, who also have three kids at home on virtual school while they're in the emergency room. I, I mean, I don't know how anyone is doing this time. So, in my high-class problems yeah, but just mentally. Of, of even being bummed about not working, um, I am living in a house with teenagers. <laughs> and if anybody wants to pick me up, get me out of here. Blink twice. Really Blink twice. Because everything I do is wrong. Everything. Even if I'm doing all the cooking and all the cleaning and all their laundry... I'm doing it wrong. Like I washed the shirt and it shrunk. And the, the, why, why did you make the chicken like this? I told you I didn't like curry. And blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so there is um, a sense of like needing my own sanity, which makes me want to be creative and be in my joy as an actor. How do you find little sanity moments? Because you're quite in a pressure cooker oftentimes. But what do you do for yourself through all of this? The biggest shift that has really helped me is about time. I always believed that I had to follow the rules. So if I didn't have 20 minutes to do transcendental meditation or I didn't have 45 minutes to get on a bike or do laps or go for a run, that I wasn't going to do anything. And so now I grab 10 minutes to meditate. I'll get on a bike for 10 minutes and I feel better or do a little bit of yoga with my daughter. And if she'll only do it for 15 minutes and not 30, then we got 15 minutes and we feel better. The community of cooking with my children, the community of showing them movies, which has been a huge part of this time for us. How do you choose which ones you're going to watch and how often? We made a list a year ago and we've gotten through, I think, two thirds of it now. I've had the privilege of a couple of filmmakers who are dear friends in my life give recommendations. So I have on that list my favorite movies, movies I've never seen, my parents' three favorite movies. And then I actually asked both David Lynch and Steven Spielberg, if I was going to show my kids five movies, what would the five movies be? Wow, what did they say? David said Wizard of Oz uh, was the first thing he <laughs> wow. said was required viewing. Because it's really twisted, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and such an inspiration for him. And Stephen 
he considered every aspect of who they are politically, uh, what they care about in terms of social justice. So it was a very diverse diverse list, but he also included genres. So we talked about High Noon as a Western they should see, Lawrence of Arabia as a classic, Casablanca, which they still haven't seen and I think we're watching tonight. And Isabella Rossellini is one of my best friends. And I'm like, Isabella's mom is in that movie. They're yes. Like, oh, she is? I was like, yeah, her name's Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> Have they seen all of yours? No. Right. What haven't they seen and what have they seen that they've loved or disliked? Well, my fa- my favorite story and quote with David Lynch was, you know, we're very close and he knows the kids well and we see each other at Christmas, not this Christmas, sadly. And a couple Christmases ago, my son Ellery said, David, mom hasn't shown us the movies you guys have made together. And she says, I'm not ready. And he goes, why can't I see them? And he said, well, you can see them when you're 30. And Ellery goes, 30, why is like my mom, I forget what he said, inappropriate in them or something like that. That movie, Wild at Heart. And David's response was, it's not seeing your mom in that movie that I'm worried about. It's you seeing your grandmother that I'm worried about. And suddenly I remembered my mother is insane in that movie, playing my mother. And my parents have also done radical things. So I'm like, okay, what age do you show your kids, your grandfather killing John Wayne or, you know, your grandmother having a nervous breakdown or, you know, you, you know, being radical? I mean, they could, you know, Ellery or Jai could on their own time just go and watch Water Hut, but they just haven't? They haven't. They saw Citizen Ruth this year. They've seen Jurassic Park. And I mean, Ellery is an artist. And as a 19-year-old, he's he's loves David's work and is a huge movie fan. Actually, speaking of Steven Spielberg, last night we watched Saving Private Ryan, which I hadn't seen since it came out. And Spoiler, Ellery, they saved him. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, I... I hadn't seen it, and Ellery's response to it was so incredible and moving that I wrote Stephen about his responses to it. And Stephen wrote back something that just Ellery brought tears to his eyes. He said, Tell Ellery, you know, the majority of men on that beach in that sequence, that is the first half hour of the movie, were exactly his age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're watching Saving Private Ryan, but we also watched Dumb and Dumber the other night. We, we, we shake it up. What is that actual Jurassic Park, the next one? What's, what's it called? Dominion, the final of the Jurassic Park series. I mean, it's being referred to as Jurassic Park 6, I believe, because it's encapsulating the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World stories. That's a lot of... Jurassic. Jurassic Squared. This was the first big production um, that shot that sort of decided to get going uh, in COVID, which sort of was last summer, fall, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And look, obviously, a Jurassic Park film has budgets and all those things that many others others don't because it's just like running a COVID testing facility with cameras these days, I think. But how was that like to go back to a set period and how was it obviously to see Sam and Jeff and all those guys? It was amazing to be back with people that, you know, you've known and loved your adult life, literally. I mean, I, I was 23 on Jurassic Park. Not only was the film an incredible thing to be part of and work on, but it was radical. And it was the first CGI movie ever made. So we felt really like this group of, you know, working with pioneers, really. And then amidst our filming, there was a major hurricane on Kauai. And so we went through that together, which was also really made it family for life. And so it was incredible. But we weren't just seeing each other again on set. We all lived together, which was the way we decided ultimately would be the most responsible choice in order to, you know, come back and make the film safely. And we And what is it like, roommates? It's amazing. And seamless and so bonding. And we had family members with us, our children with us, a few of us. Our director and writer, Colin Trevorrow, would say that we had access to each other in the development of the film that you don't get. And you have Colin Trevorrow there living with you and Donna Langley, who's running Universal and such a amazing champion, incredible producers who were all all together willing to not only invest in making it safe, but I think really genuinely knew that it was a deep responsibility, as did our amazing crew, to be the first ones back. A precedent. Exactly. We had to do it right. So we really were in lockdown. I mean, we were in an isolated countryside space. You couldn't quite go out out of the building, could you? Never. Just the grounds, but never anywhere else. Are there big, I mean, this is the most important, most cerebral question you're going to get about this. Okay, good. Is there another big poo pile? How do I answer that? Um, (laughs) And if there is. it, it, It may be replaced with something more disgusting and more amazing and shocking and fun and insane. And I most definitely am involved in it. Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown. This week, I'm feeling the burn with Laura Dern. I remember actually when you were filming Big Little Lies and I came over one day and you'd sort of pulled something in your back, I think it was, and you said, oh, I had a, I had a fight scene, but that was all you weren't telling me anything because you were a good, a good professional. Retrospectively, was that for the baseball bat trashing? Yes. Because let's be clear, I didn't get to just do it once. How many times? <laughs> I mean, the, the main experience was a one-time thing because I was causing major destruction. I, I mean, I literally destroyed an entire set, a train set, 
model airplanes, uh, furniture, you name it, a flat screen TV. So most of that was done on one take, but there were a couple of takes of the whole thing. And then there were several little pieces that I did a number of times, which as, as people that I work with will tell you, like, I definitely go all the way (laughs) after like, I'm not, when they say, you know what, we're just going to see a piece of your arm on this. You can take, take it easy on this. Like you get in the fever of the experience and you're does it you feel know, as good? It's the World Series. <laughs> does, it, yeah. does it feel as good as it looks like it feels? Better. Better. Have you ever been able to smash anything since? <laughs> no. Metaphorically? And, uh, there's only on two movies have I been really destructive. And, I mean, they felt equally fantastic. What was the other one? In Citizen Ruth, it opens and I, I take a TV and I smash in the windshield of this loser guy's car who treated me poorly. What are you going to do? Well, that's what you're going to get when you treat the LD poorly. What are you looking at now? What are you reading? What are you, what were you, are you looking at now? And what do you, when do you even think you can start to do something? Well, in terms of what I'm looking at, there are friends who are making films this summer. They're hoping, you know, as a time that we hope might be, a safer opportunity to do work. There's a lot of stop and start, and that's incredibly expensive. The challenge is that actors cannot have PPE. So you take my parents in their early 80s and my father, who just finished a a limited series that I, I hear turned out brilliantly, you know, but he's in a room of, let's say, 50 extras in a large scene, and no one has a mask on. And he's not a baby. And he's not a baby. So it's a real challenge to figure out how to do it right. And the productions who are, who are working along with the unions to really protect everyone and figure out a way to do it safely, God bless them. Because I um, have been really grateful. But I'm, I'm eager to figure out a way to, to do that. Hang on, wait. Where's your Oscar? Why don't you stick it behind all your calls? Where's your egomania? Where is it? By the way, here's a shout out to Reese Witherspoon, who asked me the same thing because she wants me to appreciate uh, the accolades in life and feels like it's silly to hide them. So she's she's given me more confidence to. It can go. I can see start where to pull them out of a hidden shelf. But it can go where that. See where that bottle is, right there. Guess what? What? That genie bottle, my dad got me from Barbara Eden because I grew up watching I Dream of Jeannie and was obsessed second only to I Love Lucy and that in that in fact is a genie bottle signed by Barbara Eden oh my god you really have a genie bottle from I Dream of Jeannie yes so I mean oh you really can't have it all Let's think about the retelling of I Dream of Jeannie if we made it in 2021 oh <laughs> I dream of Jeannie would be canceled in two different ways. Yeah. Or she's, you know, a powerhouse working at NASA and she keeps him in a genie bottle. But you also have, you have a little mini dinosaur, a Jurassic dinosaur. Is it the, Velocir- yeah, the Velociraptor, right? 
I do. You have that. And uh, just casually behind the dining table, and it is, again, it's not full size, so can you can like have cheese and crackers and it won't disturb you. Yes, exactly. But he's there and he scared my son when he was little, for sure. So we had to put it away for a while. Is there anything else you have there that is like, you kind of forget about how impactful it is? Well, I love movies, as anybody listening knows now, um, that I'm pretty obsessed. And I do a lot of work with the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And we have a museum that will be opening here in Los Angeles in the fall. And so I have been in love with trying to figure out ways to archive, you know, memories. And in LA, of all places, there really wasn't much of that. And the museum will now be a place that will hold so much magic in the storytelling and the challenges of the history of cinema. People will know that in your sneaker closet are the actual uh, Dorothy Ruby slippers. You just put them in there with the Nikes. Yeah, just wear them periodically. I might not have them in my closet, but I have my godmother Shelley Winter's luggage that she traveled around the world with from movie to movie that she gave me. Oh, and I have an, a photograph uh, from the set of I Love Lucy of Lucy and Vivian Vance, which I hold dearly. I may have, may, may have Such an my, my blaster from Star Wars. I might. So quick. You know what? I've got an idea for you. When you get older, right, just start like day drinking, pop on a caftan and offer real life tours of your house. I like it. I think you could interview me weekly and I just sit with my rosé and my piles of memorabilia. Yeah. While your nails grow ever longer. And we just have a little, you know, talk show in our 80s and I I weep a lot. (laughs) All right. You know, we do something just as as we roll this up called 10 firsts. It's all just silly. It's all just silly buggers. And do we just say what first comes to mind and that's how, what gets into, us into trouble? You're going to be sued eight to nine times. Anyway, you ready? Number one, <laughs> first drink you order. Red wine. It's good for you. That's what I say to myself every night. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I say, oh, just think of the resveratrol. <laughs> okay, your first fashion splurge. Alaya. And what color? Black? It was navy blue. It was the Alaya store in New York City. I had gone through a breakup. I wanted to feel amazing. And guess who took me? Peggy. Peggy Lipton, everybody. And we met Isabella Rossellini that day. And the three of us went shopping and Peggy was like, you know what you're going to do? You are going to buy yourself the sexiest dress ever made. And we went to Aliyah. But any fashion thing you bought for yourself recently to sort of perk yourself up or acquired? Yes. It's all for all of us about saving until a friend of mine texted me a link and said, you should get this blouse. It'd be so pretty and cheer you up. And her name was Laura Brown. And I did it and I got one for my daughter. And don't you feel pretty in that blue one? 
I do. I got the blue and I got her uh, peach blouse and they make us feel very good. Like little garden sprites as you are. Okay. First piece of advice your mother gave you. Keep your eyes on your own paper. So just essentially stay focused. Essentially, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. You're on your own path. From, from third grade classroom to relationships to success to parenting, it's incredible wisdom. Hang on, how, give, give me the accent. She'd say it in. Oh, girl, keep your eyes on your own paper. Something like that. Okay, first on-screen kiss. Oh, um, the first on-screen kiss was probably Mass, ah, Peter Bogdanovich movie. The Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. And I was a blind girl, and he played Rocky Dennis, true story about a boy with a disease called lionitis. And that would be a very LD kiss on screen. It wouldn't be like, Laura Dern in Sweet Valley High, the movie. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's of course. Mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're so on brand. Okay. First time, first time you owned your shit, personally, professionally, or when you like, you knew what you had to offer. Well, own my shit as a flawed person, probably this year, hold up with teenagers confronting you with your parenting flaws this is the first time where I'm like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I don't blame you. No, I get it. That was a huge mistake. I, I mean, just there's no one to defend you. There's no, there's no one to back you. Crawling at the windows. So I'm like, yep, I get everything wrong. You're absolutely right. So that's the that's the personal, professional. I would say I remember the joy that I had. On Citizen Ruth, we were doing a scene with Alexander Payne. It was his first feature. And um, he was trying to get at something, which was this sort of like childish tantrum of the character in a very specific way. And it had to be comedic and incredibly emotional. And we kept going and we kept going and we kept going. And I think we didn't get it right until like maybe the 10th or 11th take. And I remember feeling so excited about not getting it right because ah. every time it was off, it was getting me closer to what he was hearing or needed. And it was just that moment of, of egoless fun of a process you love, whatever your art is, whatever your profession is when you challenge yourself to get into the joy of mistake instead of just constant insecurity. You're one of the few people who would go, oh, this isn't right, nine times, and not just go, mm, but to go, oh, no, I mean, to embrace that. A lot of other people would be like, why, why can't I get it right? But it, what's amazing, and I think really challenging for women, is owning our gift and celebrating them and trusting them without feeling on a societal level that we're supposed to say, oh, no, I'm not very good at that, or I don't know how to do that because that's ladylike. Please. Let me, ladies first, let's talk about what's ladylike, which is Owning your abilities. Yes. And owning your flaws and knowing the difference of when you get it right and when you're off the mark. And 
that's that's got humility in it. You know, we need that in order to advance. I mean, otherwise, how are women going to not just be given a promotion, but be in the boardroom and then speak up in the boardroom? As you well know, you know, many of us don't. But that's what, honestly what we, you and I talk about a whole lot is ownership and what you, you earn that. And as you progress, you have more and more ownership. And it doesn't matter if it's always the greatest achievement. It's just like you have more solidity over who, exactly. in who you are. And then you it builds you. You'll get, get more edified because you own more things. And you are even you knew enough to own that nine or 11 takes, you weren't quite there. Yeah, or which that, is, that parenting is not a profession. <laughs> and, and there's no degree. It's so weird that even to one's own kids, it's like, how dare you say that? I didn't do that. It's like, well, how is that conscious parenting? I mean, you can't admit to your own children when you don't know the answer or you can't get it right. And, and in this time when we're together 24-7, I've surrendered. I've been beaten into submission. <laughs> With all of this COVID, all this pressure cooker, all this stuff, always in the house, just clear the lowest bar every day. Just. I love it. Just, just a low one. Yeah. The sink is empty. The counters are wiped down. The wine, wine bottles are recycled. Recycled, but they're making ch- clink, 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 clink. Oh, they're still going. Clink, 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 clink. Oh, my God, Laura. Anyway. Clink, clink. All right. First joke you remember. Knock, knock. Who's there? Impatient cow. Impatient cow who? Moo! Yeah, no, you're yeah. not. You're too patient. <laughs> That's not one of my skills. <laughs> Forget Laura Dern. Patient cow. <laughs> That's going to be my... It's going to be on my bio. Secret of Oscar winner. Don't, slash, told told <laughs> by InStyle. Oscar winner comedy. My patient next cow, style cover, Dern. patient cow, Laura Dern. It's going to be, then the photos are going to be really sexy. I'm going to be in all black and white. Okay, first date. I think the very first date was with an actor who was doing a TV show with my mom. And he asked me to the movies. We were like 14 or something. Do you remember what movie it was? Yeah, Elephant Man, a David Lynch movie. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? My first date was going to see a David Lynch movie. You go to see Elephant Man. And then we went to Hamburger Hamlet and had a hot fudge cake. Your first date was Elephant Man. Your first kiss was The Mask. <laughs> <laughs> So my career is not a surprise. First thing you do or eat if you're stressed out. If I'm stressed out, Mm -hmm. oh, bakery goods for sure. They're they're delicious. Stress and being gluten-free do not work well together, which I've been attempting. It's not great. I don't know. All I know is it ain't fun. Yeah. Because if I could live on a baguette with some goat cheese and like honey drizzled on it and then move to a pasta, have a muffin in the morning or croissant. Lastly, first thing you'll do when this godforsaken, goddamn, accursed pandemic is done with. The first thing that I would dream of doing is gathering a group of amazing women 
to have a beautiful meal with like 14 of us. I love men. Sure. Please. I sure. love them. And I want to see them a lot. And I want (laughs) to hang out with many. But I'd like to see a lot of men. I would like to see a lot, a lot of men. But that might be the first thing I I would like to do also to just sit together in community to sort of go, oh, my God, what has this been like for you? How are you? And we've done a little bit of that on Zoom. But as we know, it's not the same. So I really look forward to that. Yeah, I just want I'm just going to climb on people, just random ones and put them on my lap. Because you haven't been on my lap forever. You're getting on me and I'm getting on you. And I don't For care sure. how that sounds because I planned it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way she decided to close this interview. It is how. <laughs> LD, feel the burn. <laughs> feel the burn. But not right now because she's in confinement. But. Look, before I, I, I knew you, I, I had infinite admiration and respect for you. And honestly, it's times one million since we've spent more time together. And you have an incredible openness, desire, lack of cynicism, uh, and a way of really wanting to experience things that uh, others would be jaded by or uh, not as invested in. So that's what puts that pep in your step. That's what makes uh, your performances absolutely gluey and what makes you a tremendous mum and a great mate oh well bless you amazing goddess and friend this has been ladies first with laura brown we can be found wherever you get your podcasts thanks to our production team at pod people rachel king matt savarese danielle roth Anne ford Anne kane and erica wong and thanks to brian anstey molly stout and Haley mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrown99. 